Good morning and welcome back to Simply Conversing. In today's episode, we will attempt to shine some light on the mystery that is motivation. We've here with us the energizing and always methodical Joe Osgood, who has quite a few thoughts to share on the topic. Joe, thanks for being here. Of course. Thanks for having me, man. I'm excited. I was so pumped to have you because in the years that I've known you, uh, you've never really just talked to talk, but you've always followed up with actions, everything that you said. Um, you've uh, always stood out for being very results-oriented, but you've always demonstrated repeated commitment in completing out what you said to achieve. So, Joe, props to you. Well, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate the compliments. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, so having said this, Joe, what is your definition of motivation? Why do you think that people consistently seek it? You know, motivation is, it's kind of a tough one to define. That was like really one of my first questions when you sent me the prompt mm-hmm. um, where it, it's a nominalization, right? So it's pretty vague in what it means to different people. Yeah. Um, but, but I think what we normally think of when we're talking about motivation, it, it is your why, right? It's your drive. Mm-hmm. Um, but motivation in the sense of where you're like listening to people motivate you that's kind of the verb sense of it, but like being motivated is more of an attribute, which I find being more important and being like an ambitious person, right? Because just being motivated to me is a little bit shallow, right? Like it doesn't last for very long mm-hmm. it, it, because you get excited, right? When you're motivated, you can kind of use those as synonyms yeah. um, at the initial onset. But if you're actually passionate about something and if you actually want to get something done, most of that time, say from inception all the way to completion of that task or that goal, you're not really excited. You know, sometimes it's really difficult yeah. and you're not motivated the entire time. Yeah. Um, so, so I think what we're more interested is in the ambition and in the drive and in the perseverance of that. Um, but the initial stage of it to me is that motivation, like that spark. Yeah. And it, it's kind of a relatively small portion of the entire um, accomplishment of that goal and all those steps in my mind yeah no i I definitely see what you're saying so uh you mentioned obviously the word excitement so motivation in the beginning of getting something done is that excitement that gets you started but then that feeling that emotion whatever that may be undergoes several transitions and those transitions are what's necessary for you to keep going and for you to getting it done um and I guess the, the concept of inflation is not novel, um, of motivation is not novel. People have talked about it quite a bit, and it seems to have been inflated to the point now that what is fashionable is going against it. A lot of internet celebrities, a lot of business people that you hear on podcasts have now started to define it as garbage. And while it may <laughs> seem a little bit extreme... Um, it does kind of follow what we've been hinting at. Um, it seems to convey some sort of mutually, though, exclusive relationship with its apparent arch enemy with his action. Um, mm. So do you think that you could start getting stuff done without that first, um, I guess, um, excitement phase that is motivation? I think you could for sure. And I, I think you need to, mm-hmm. but, but why would you be doing it if you're not initially excited, right? Yeah. Because you're doing a lot of hard work and then eventually you want that goal, but there, there might be some reevaluation as to whether or not you truly want it mm-hmm. or if you're still motivated or if you want to pivot and change gears. Yeah. Um, but if you're not initially excited about it, 
why why would you be doing it in the first place? Um, so motivation, I, I think it might get a bad rap just because it is a little bit shallow and it's kind of that initial phase. But I think even for me, at least with like law school and just education and just working and everything like that, like a lot of the times it sucks. Like I, I wouldn't describe myself as being motivated right now mm-hmm. because I've been doing it for so long and just most of it's drive, right? I'm not excited yeah. to be doing a lot what I'm doing, but then you get kind of those echoes as you're going along that you, you that initial why you did it like you can kind of remember and it keeps you going when when you're a little bit low yeah um so i think you can but why would you yeah unless obviously you've got a yeah you just masochistic or something or, you know there's mommy ready for some spanking when you're a kid and not want to do something or go to school right um right I mean, that's a good point because motivation doesn't necessarily have to be a positive thing, right? It might just be you're motivated by a fear of failure or like of an inadequacy or an insecurity. Absolutely. Um, so there's kind of the both sides of that coin. Absolutely. And motivation can also derive from within. And that's when we start talking about intrinsic motivation as opposed to coming from what's around us. And that's extrinsic. And mm-hmm. Depending on who you are, depending on... Uh, what the circumstances are, you may need a little bit of both, or you could potentially rely on one or the other. Uh, right. In in the case, right. in the case of a <laughs> in the case of a young student that doesn't want to go to class, their why for going to class is well, yes, you have to. Um, and why do you have to? Because otherwise, mommy and daddy are not going to be happy about it. Um, right. Or it could potentially be against the law, depending on what country you're in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that, that would be foreign to me. But, <laughs> but again, the, the student would probably say, well, that's not my problem. I'm a minor. It's my parents' problem. <laughs> right. Uh, right. And with, with the extrinsic and wait, what well, I'm going to say external and yeah. internal, it's just easier for me Same idea. to get. Yeah. It, to me, it's like if you go to some, is Tony Robbins is mm-hmm. that motivational yeah. speaker guy. Um, if someone needs to go to his conference or something to feel motivated, it's because you're around all these other people and that environment is just very energetic and it's contagious in that way. Yeah. I, I like, I liken it to being almost like a reptile where how they're cold blooded, mm-hmm. right? Your the temperature of your homeostasis, like your temperature is determined by your external circumstances. And so when the environment gets harsh or it changes, you change too. Yeah. There's nothing self you don't actually generate it by yourself versus a mammal when you have that energy and you can defy what's around you and stay motivated throughout harsher conditions, basically. I think that's a very clear uh, analogy. And what did you study in, in undergrad? <laughs> I did uh, I did poli-sci for the undergrad and I did like a conflict management thing at the law school at Pepperdine and then sustainability, which was kind of like yeah. environmental science. So all your knowledge on reptiles derives from something other than your Probably national, national Geographic, like Steve Irwin, just <laughs> watching TV and documentaries filling my brain mm-hmm. so. with that stuff, that independent study. Well, let me let me go on a tangent here a little bit. Um, obviously, now we're quarantined and I was seeking a little bit of motivation to make sure that I kept up my daily push-ups. And so <laughs> I downloaded this app right. that would count every single push-up that I do. And <laughs> you have the ability of choosing different languages, uh, different voices. And it go, they go all the way from Yoda to Donald Trump. And one of them is um, exactly the famous narrator from National Geographic. 
Oh, is it um, I, the Atten- Attenborough? I forget the name, but it's the one that you would normally hear at the beginning of pretty much any documentary. Okay, like the Planet Earth guy is like David Attenborough, I think. That's mm-hmm. the only one that comes to mind. Mm-hmm. It, it probably is him. I'm going to have to double check, but... Is it English accent? It, it is. It is. Yeah. Deep voice. I guess it doesn't narrow it down. Yeah. <laughs> it does. <laughs> British English. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so I definitely agree with what you with what you said, Joe. Um, and in I guess what you made me think of as you was providing that analogy is it's not so much that Tony Robbins is the person providing the information, just like oftentimes what your parents tell you to do doesn't really resonate with you. But the moment someone else, someone that you might find more relatable or someone that you might just have a different relationship with says the same thing, that's when it really starts making a difference within you. You've probably noticed that any soccer coach or any coach for whatever sport you may have practiced or you may still practice uh, what they say even though it might be identical to what your maybe your dad told you when you were a kid uh, it makes a lot of a difference and you're more willing to listen to them and what they have to say will add a lot more value to you even though what they say isn't any different Hmm. Um, so it is it is uh, a lot of it comes down to the external circumstances a lot of it comes down to um, the type of people that you have around and in the case of all those conferences that people go to to seek motivation or to seek inspiration or this uh, magical pill um, that's what really makes a difference is the energy in the room like you mentioned Um, right uh, do you right i mean Mm -hmm. the argument on my side would be I, I kind of have a thing against resolutions. I, I'm not not that it's a bad thing if you're going to work out and do it all the time. But for me, if you need an occasion to do something or if you need a conference to do something, like you're really not that motivated in the first place. Like if you want to drink less, drink less whenever you think of it. Like just do it right away. If you want to work out more, work out more. You don't need everyone else to start at the same time as you so you feel like supported in that way, yeah. right? You should be at least a little bit more independent. But maybe I'm being too harsh um and if it helps if it helps mm-hmm. but well but I, I i think there is some reality to it uh, one of the i guess one of the reasons why i think people seek hope is because it's somewhat of a catalyst for hope yes it, the emotions that might follow or just could just be fleeting and be gone quick enough but feeling motivated uh kind of seems to fuel a vision for a better future, which amplifies the consequence hope. Uh, yes, it is temporary, but in a way, that's what um, going to those conferences make you feel like. It makes you feel like the ideal time to get started is now, even though there will right. never be an ideal time. And that's what most people, I think, get wrong. Um, and obviously I'm speaking from 24 years worth of experience and I'm sure there's <laughs> others that have far less and they're way wiser, but something that is uh, tricky about the relationship with motivation is it, 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 it forces your mind into thinking that the moment you experience those feelings is the right time to do things which is also why people spend so many hours on YouTube or listening to podcasts, hopefully not like this one, um, that get you pumped. But the moment the video is over, the moment you wake up the following day, everything seems to have come back to normal. 
Right. Um, but, but yeah, I guess uh, obviously a lot of the things that we're seeing you know, we're, are coming from our, our own experiences and we're generalizing a couple of things. So for some, um, the, the, the conference itself might not do anything. Uh, for others, it may literally be the one thing that gets them started. Um, you, you know Gary right. and Chuck? Right. If it, if it gets yeah. the ball rolling, there's nothing, exactly. nothing wrong with it. But it just seems that if you spend so much time trying to get motivated by someone else, you should probably be more concerned at being able to motivate yourself. Yeah. yeah. Right? Um, You're trying to get someone else to do it for you. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, it's like excite me about life. It's like you should just be able to excite yourself, yeah. right? And get that be your own catalyst. But I guess not everyone can. And so it's going to help some people go. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go on a little tangent here, but I think it does convey uh, very uh, the message very well. Do you know bro science, Don Mazzetti? Um, I know the term, like the, uh, the YouTube yeah, channel. Yeah, the YouTube channel. I've seen it. Yeah, I haven't probably seen it in a few okay. years. Yeah, but he's, he was about. gone for quite some time, but he he talks. Obviously, everything that he does um, is very is funny, comical. But he talks about the different relationships that people have with personal trainers across different gyms in the United States. <laughs> he brings <laughs> about two two very separate examples. One of Equinox where obviously because of the price tag, you're um, going to be used to facilities which are significantly different, but also personal trainers, which uh, tend to be a lot more involved in your physical career or your journey to a right. better body or a healthier body. Um, <laughs> to the point where they start doing the work for you, okay? Because you're paying them <laughs> the money <laughs> to not suffer. <laughs> so we start doing right. the exercises for you. And then you've got other gyms which aren't as expensive, uh, aren't as fancy, <laughs> where the trainers are almost non-existent. And the only kind of interaction you're going to have with them is asking and for them to say, yes, that's the machine. Go do it if you want to improve. <laughs> that's right. Better. Do it yourself. Uh, do it yourself. Exactly. And I think that does convey uh, the point uh, pretty well. Um, but Joe, I want to now look at a specific slice of motivational uh, videos slash uh, motivational segments, which is morning routines. Mm. And I think a lot of the things that we've been talking about are somewhat well summarized in how people see others' morning routines. Um, they are somewhat standardized, it seems, even though there might be some nuances across people. It's a matter of waking up early. It's a matter of um, getting that bulletproof coffee in. And then it's a matter of just going out, getting some exercise before the crack of dawn. Right. That's what it seems like. Why do you think they're so appealing? Those just routines and Saturdays, like actually doing the same thing over and over again? Doing the same thing over or and over again. Or just like again. doing it. Or doing it specifically in the morning. Well, I, I think in this case, obviously, there's value that comes from re repeating the routine. But I think in this case, let's start off with morning routines specifically. Mm -hmm. So the, what's the question? Why do you think they're so appealing? Um, I don't know. I don't know why people are so into the morning routines. Maybe it's because it gets your day started and gives you more time because everyone is feels like they're lacking time and they feel if they got up at five in the morning, they would do all the things that they said they were going to do. Like, oh, I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to do this and that and that. If they wake up at five o'clock, like 
it's like 24 extra hours, even though it's realistically only one or two. Yeah. Um, and, and I think the fact that it's a big, at the beginning of the day, it, it kind of just starts you off in that good mood. Yeah. Right. At least, at least for me, it's like, I'm not a routine guy. My, my wife is, and I know you are, you're very disciplined in that way. I like doing things differently every day, but I just like filling it. Mm -hmm. Right. So with, with law school, like I have all these things to do. I have my syllabus, but I don't read my syllabus all the way to the end. I just, I'm busy all day and do it, be as productive as I can. Yeah. And when I'm done, I'm done. And if I do that, I'm never going to be behind. You know, I'm usually ahead yeah. when I do something like that. Um, but I make sure to work out at some point. I make sure to eat healthy. But it, to me, the the routine of it almost, it's, it's the mundanity gets me a little depressed in that mm -hmm. way. Where if I do the same exact thing over and over again, I don't like it. But for a lot of people, that structure just like makes their life a lot better. Yeah. Um, so that, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I see that. And what I think it can come down to is uh, we mentioned earlier the arch enemy of motivation, which is action. And obviously people have been bombarded, um, I guess, on the idea that their failures don't derive from lack of motivation, but lack of action. And so what they've tried to do mm -hmm. is to uh, shift all of their focus on the actions. And so what happens is that they start taking an and just copying and pasting specific activities from these routines into their life without really questioning why specific people do specific things or why they should themselves, um, I guess, carry on with that activity. And so what they now start thinking, uh, and I'm guilty of it too at times, is uh, attributing the value to what something is in it in it of itself as opposed to why that something would add value to you right right i think i guess they see a lot of successful people where you see a lot of the fortune 500 mm -hmm. ceos most of them are working out and waking up very early yeah. um perhaps they're attributing it yeah to what like you're saying the action like you have to work out and then you'll be successful if you do it in the mornings but it, it's probably they do that because they're disciplined yeah. Right. And they're they're disciplined in every other area of yeah. life. It's not just like a formula. Absolutely. Right. And it, and some people do it differently. Right. I mean, Warren Buffett, he's fast food. And I don't think he's moved a muscle <laughs> in, a, in a gym at any point in his life. <laughs> gym what? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, no, I, I, I agree. And uh, <laughs> you mean he's not all in Schwarzenegger under those clothes? <laughs> No, no, that I don't think we'd want to see whatever's under those suits. I think he had a quote, right? He's like, um, people say I wear cheap shoot, suits, but like, no, they're really expensive. I just make them look cheap. <laughs> I love that one. I love it. Um, so I, I think um, it's cool because that that's an easy way where you're probably not lazy if you're waking up early and you have this routine and you have and you're doing it yeah. in a dedicated fashion. Yeah. Um, so it's a simple answer, but I don't think it's an end all be all right. And I, a lot of successful people don't get that way by emulating someone else. They, they're confident in who they are and they're confident what they're pursuing and they know their why on their own. They don't need someone else to tell them what their purpose is or what their motivation is they're, They, they do it themselves. And if, if a lot of successful people do it differently, like they it doesn't matter to them, yeah. you know, it's like they, they have their own, they have their own fire. Yeah. No, I, I agree. I think. They're 
there is obviously some value that comes from doing things specifically in the morning, partly, you know, besides the science, I know there, um, some studies say that there are specific hormones that are released at a time of the day that make you more productive, et cetera. There's the whole idea of decision fatigue and, and psychology where the more decisions you make throughout the day, the more tired you become, hence the, um, I guess the more value, the less value those decisions are going to add, um, Day, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Um, and obviously, I don't think, you know, there are morning people, but I still think there's some level of difficulty in waking up at a specific time. So the fact that you're already overcoming that thing um, kind of already speaks loud of you. Uh, it doesn't necessarily mean that people who don't are worse, but it definitely says something about you. Um, it, it, right. It, it says that yeah, you're disciplined. Just like and it's not going to hurt. It's like hopping into a cold shower, you know, before Wim Hof. Before Wim right. Hof was around <laughs> and all the breathing techniques, et cetera, the cold therapy, et cetera. Just like jumping into a cold shower is hard. And so... Yeah, I, I did that for a while. It's not it's fun at all. Fun, but, but then, <laughs> you know, you know how people are. Some of them could start saying, okay, well, I've got all these amazing goals that I want to reach in life. I'm very ambitious. How can I think that I will ever even get close to achieving them if I cannot force myself into cold shower for five seconds? You know, and, and that's, mm-hmm. I don't think that's fair to think. Um, there might be some truth to it. <laughs> uh, not going to lie. Right. But, you know, all these things are tricky because they're meant to work in your favor. But the human psyche can also turn them against yourself without, you know, without, and it shouldn't be that way. Um, but, but again, it's, it's very subjective. What, what do you, what do you mean well, by that? The human psyche turns it against yourself, that the action of the whole yeah, shower. Well, something, you know, I guess something that is born as a way to prove to yourself that you're disciplined, um, mm-hmm. can become literally a source for depression. Uh, and I'm not talking about the clinical depression that's, uh, and I'm going to put a little of opinion in here that's so frequently, uh, <laughs> um, uh, what's the word that I'm looking for in English? Damn it. Uh, diagnosed, not the clinical over, yeah, overdiagnosed, overdiagnosed or... in the U S compared to other countries, but I'm talking about just the feeling that you have for yourself. So you're going in trying to think that trying to prove to yourself that you're disciplined and objectively you might well be. But because you fail at doing it once or twice, uh, at failing at doing something so easy as hopping into cold shower for a little bit, uh, you might start questioning everything else. You might start putting doubts to your ability to, um, you know, to move forward with your activities and then to reach your goal and to become the person that you want to be long term. It might right. be a little bit extreme. <laughs> right. That, I mean, that's, that's what we're talking about, that like the exactly negative part of motivation, right? Yeah. There can be positive ones where it's like you want to improve yourself and you actually are confident in that way. And there's also negative ones. Like, for instance, when I started working out more in high school, the, a big motivator is it's negative. It's insecurity and you don't like your body. Mm-hmm. You don't like how strong you are. And it works. It gets the result. Um, but your end goal shouldn't be... Like if you still have that negative motivation, you're never going to be fulfilled and you're always going to be hungry. Absolutely. Right. So, so now I don't work out near as much. I'm still in good shape, but I just feel happy. So I'm in a better spot, but I'm in worse shape, you know, like I'm not as disciplined that way, but I I feel better. 
and I That's think I'm so doing important. Better. And nowadays, you know, you might get into the gym because you truly love the feeling of pushing yourself farther and harder. Uh, you obviously want to look a little bit better, but you also want to feel healthier. And then you get to a point where right. you're in much better shape. Um, you could also be healthier physically, okay? <laughs> but you start developing some sort of body dysmorphia where right. a crooked mirror that makes you look different from what you really are, you start thinking that you look like crap. <laughs> you look super, super skinny. skinny or you look right. fat right. Or, I mean... or too long or too short, whatever it may be. But objectively, you're better than you were when you first started. And that dysmorphia has uh obviously it's not just a matter of body you know you could make examples for all sorts of things but it eclipses all the good that um that going into the gym in the first place was absolutely it's, yeah when i was in my best shape and i think with all that negative motivation it was i had a dysmorphic lens where i would still think i was weak i would still i didn't like the way i looked and i think that can tie into people's ambition right it's a good thing to be very motivated and it's a good thing to pursue your goals and it's a good thing yeah. to be hungry for that. But I've been struggling with this balance myself where it's, if you still have that like negative, a lot of people, the reason they do that is because they're scared mm -hmm. of being a failure or they're scared of like not being for me specifically. It's like, I don't want to, let me, I don't know how to mm -hmm. phrase it correctly. Um, I want to be okay with myself, right? I want to be proud of myself. And in order to do that, I need to live up to a very high standard that I set. Um, but if I keep doing it, if it's a negative thing, I'm never going to get there. And that goalpost that I set for myself is always going to be moving. And no matter how much you accomplish, it's never going to be good enough. You're always going to be looking at your life in this dysmorphic lens where it's, it's just never good enough. And so it's hard to know how, because doing it too little is a bad thing right? Like you want to be successful in your life and you want to have a productive life and you want to have a happy family and all mm -hmm. those things. But if you're constantly obsessed with getting more and more and more, you're just never going to be full. You're always going to be discontent and you're, so it's a good thing to be ambitious, but it can be also be a bad thing if it's just too yeah. much of that trait. So it's really hard to strike that balance. And I definitely haven't yet and haven't figured out exactly yeah. what, what, what the right balance would be. And it could be yeah. different for, but I do think that being aware that they're, is a balance or that there can be a balance is already a good thing to start off with. Um, you, you made me think of a, a speech that Matthew McConaughey gave a couple of years ago when he won the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club. I don't know if you remember that speech. Um, interesting. No, so I don't it's think a very interesting it. speech. Obviously, the movie was very, uh, it was filled with emotions. It was discussing a pretty uh, important Topic, pretty heavy, heavy topic, yeah. Um, I actually believe that in a movie one for best actor as well as best supporting actor with Jared Leto. Um, long story short, and the uh, in the speech that he gives, uh, Matthew McConaughey talks about a couple of things and ends up by talking about his hero. And his hero, in Matthew McConaughey fashion, is himself. But the twist is that it's himself in ten years. And the reason he brings that up is mm. 10 years down the line, he will still not have reached that hero because the hero will still be 10 years away. Um, and the whole idea behind his speech was to stay hungry 
and to continue being ambitious and to not settle, I guess, for when you reach your goals. Um, I'm, I'm sure there might be a, a, a more de a more meaningful interpretation of it. And whilst I right, no, I, I actually have seen a speech now that you, you say it. I'm talking about so obviously yeah. something like that is very powerful, and I do think it's very valuable for a person. But like you mentioned, you run the risk of being excessively hungry and never really appreciating the right. things that you do accomplish. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's a balance between wanting more in life and you're going to keep moving forward and being happy where you are. And it's very difficult to do both yeah. of those things. You know, it, like if you're, if you're trying to get something and you know you're not there yet, yeah. it's hard to be content. And sometimes content can be mistaken for complacency. Like if you're too content and you haven't mm -hmm. accomplished much, that's a bad thing. And, you know, it, it's a very difficult balance. And I'm not sure yeah, a lot of people yeah, strike yeah. it. <laughs> and, you know, to, to, to the credit of Matthew McConaughey, he does not say whether you should stop along the line to enjoy the things that you've accomplished. Um, but because it is open right. for interpretation, that's where a lot of people will find success in his speech. And a lot of people will get discouraged from his speech um or run the risk of being discouraged in the future but um i want to i want to introduce uh, another element to this conversation joe um and i'm going to premise it by saying that i do think that life in the sense that you either have one or you're dead okay is or should be one of right. um the biggest motivators regardless of what a person is inspired by i think that hardship because of an illness for example or death of a loved one should be literally the single strongest motivator to get you to do something um or i guess to get you to feel a specific way why is it that so many people still fail to act upon such important things and I can give you an example. I can give you an example if it, if it helps. Um, Be helpful. A couple of years ago, yeah, go. Um, I, was, I was in the U.S. <laughs> I, was, I remember like it was yesterday. I was um, at Pepperdine. Um, by, <laughs> I'm thinking about it. It's so privileged, but um, <laughs> hashtag blessed. And <laughs> by the pool um, on, our, on our campus. And uh, I got a text message from a friend of mine in Italy, two twins, actually, with, that share the same last name as me, people that I grew up with. I went to elementary school all the way through high school together. And they told me that they had lost their uh, mother to cancer. Um, mm -hmm. Fast forward a month, they also lost their father to cancer. Okay. So in the span of two months, they lost both of their parents. And not long after, they also lost their grandfather. Um, mm -hmm. obviously, uh, at the time, the mom was the only uh, person to have passed away and I called them, but I decided to send them a text message, um, which is pretty lengthy and I still save it today and you know, every so often go back and read it. Um, what the text message said was pretty much, uh, you know, it's going to hurt no matter what, there's nothing you can really do to take away the pain from what you're going through. Um, but as soon as, as possible, uh, whether it's going to take you a week or it's going to take you a year or years, 
try to think about all the beautiful memories that you had created with your mother. Uh, and obviously the same now applies to the rest of her family. Try to think of all the smiles, the laughter, the good mornings, the good nights, um, which you might never really have paid attention to, but that's what really made your relationship with your mother beautiful. And please live not forgetting those things. Live life intensely because it could be gone any moment. It could vanish tomorrow, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, I'm not going to lie. I I'm, I'm very proud of that message. But at the same time, um, I myself find disappointed in not being able to follow that message because I myself have lost, uh, for example, a mother, uh, my mother. Um, so, right. so why do you think, even if something like that happens, people still fall back to not living life intensely, whatever that may mean? Yeah, yeah. That, I mean, that's a great question. I think there can be a simple answer to that where it's just you can't make yourself focus mm -hmm. on that every single day. Right. It's just you're you're obviously going to go back into your old routines. You're going to forget about it because no one wants to confront the reality of death every single moment. Yeah. Right. That It's kind of crippling psychologically. Like a lot of people don't even yeah. want to think about it when their family does die. They're trying to just block it out of their mind for as long as it happens. And then they, they do die. Right. Like my my grandfather example, like yeah. I, I think you've met him. He was the one um, in Big Cannon. He, he was a very successful guy, but he's not a very deep man with his relationships with his family and like what, what mattered to him wasn't his relationship with me as his grandson or his kids he wasn't a good father he wasn't a good husband he cheated on all of his mm -hmm. wives and didn't treat them well um and even now where he has liver cancer that's stage four um and he he's gonna die and it's it's surprising he's he shouldn't be alive now basically like he's he's like a year yeah. past due um and even now he doesn't get deeper and he doesn't talk about things that should matter and like types of relationships that should matter. He still talks about old stories about his business deals or what he shot in mm -hmm. golf a couple of years ago, or like some, you hear the same four or five stories. It's kind of like he's, yeah. he's falling back on these. I don't know. I don't know. It's a crutch. It's these, these crutches cause it's life is too heavy for him. And I think that they made, too many mistakes and you feel like you've been here so long that you just can't change. I don't know if it takes this sort of resolve to uh, analyze your life and, Hey, what am I doing right now? Is it actually worth living? Am I, I going to look back and say that time was worth what I did? Or am I going to just enjoy kind of like the hedonism of it? Right. Just like the moment. Um, and, and I think not a lot of people are strong mm -hmm. enough to, to do that, but the way the way I think of it is when I, I don't I don't live up to it. No one really does um, all the time. But when I'm doing something, I say in a year or two or 10 or 20 from now, am I going to remember what I'm doing right now and think and did it get me something better from it? Or am I just doing this because it's enjoyable yeah. and because it's easy? Right. Because say if you want to like play video games or watch TV, mm -hmm. you're not going to remember that in 10 years and it's not going to benefit you versus actually getting your work done or sending an email or coming up with some idea or anything that's productive that is going to pay dividends yeah. even if you don't remember exactly what you did 
it's gonna and and even i think especially now in quarantine what i've been investing in is family and friends and making sure i'm present and investing in those relationships and i think i felt professionally i'm fairly satisfied because i have my offer right now like i i'm set for at least another year or two before i start having to think at the next step but i still wasn't feeling quite satisfied and then i started kind of reaching back into old high school friends and college friends and making sure i was reaching out and i I felt like i could live life doing that right like i could i could be happy living that way year to year you know like it was that final piece i'm I'm sure there'll be more pieces in the puzzle of my life as i go on but i felt like i was missing that and and i think constantly having to analyze when you go are you going to be happy with the relationships that you've had and what you've done and it's not it's not just one of those pieces it's not just being professional it's not just family it's not just doing what you like it's kind of all of those things together and like those shared shared experiences um and and it's hard to keep an eye on the end while you're there because it's kind of depressing right (laughs) um but (laughs) but but if you do live that way i think it does live to a more satisfying life because if i wasn't thinking that i'm not sure if i would continue reaching out to those people and i I think it's been very beneficial in the, the most recent months of my life where the, the reason I did that is because I was I was looking at my grandfather and said he doesn't have any friends his family isn't close to him like he's just his mistakes I, I want to learn from them and obviously if I was 70 or 80 and, and feeling what he's feeling and still not getting any deeper I wouldn't be yeah. happy with what the choices that I had made no, I, I uh those are really really good points really powerful points something that quarantine I think is teaching many is also so you, you obviously mentioned being uh, confined uh, <laughs> so luckily you're confined with your wife um, but you've you've taken <laughs> yeah. advantage of this time a lot of people so you've taken this time to reach out to friends and you've rediscovered some fond memories and some some great friendships that you have that you want to cultivate because you've understood the importance of doing so I've, I also think that a lot of people are, maybe not as much in the United States, just because of the way the, the relationship between people in their early 20s um, and their parents are. But in Italy, a lot of times, uh, students are still at home with their parents. Um, and I do think mm. that that can be very valuable because it forces you to appreciate all the difficulty that means living confined at home with your parents. Something that oftentimes you, <laughs> the moment you, right. you get a, the first, you know, hint of freedom when you first leave home, etc., you start forgetting. And I don't mean to be depressing, even though I just, I don't mean to be depressing, but think about the, how old, for example, your father is. Um, let's, let's assume mm-hmm. that, you know, your father is, say, 65, Okay. If you start looking at the average age that a male American lives, and I can do the same. 70, 74, yeah, something like US, that, 72. It's lower, it's lower in Italy. I think it's around 78. It's obviously a bit higher for women. But if you start making, if you start looking at that and you start counting the number of days or for some people, the number of hours that they see their parents or father in the year, 
it's, it starts becoming depressing very quickly because you start calculating mathematically the number of hours or days that you will still get to see those people. And obviously, every relationship is different. Every person is different. So some parents might be incredible. Some might not be incredible. Uh, some, the relationship between a father and a son, a mother, et cetera, or a daughter can be great. Uh, in other families, it's not so great. But things like that, I do think, are strong motivators. Um, and something that people may not think about is that placing emphasis on the relationships can have some sort of synergistic effect on everything else so they can improve other areas of your life. Uh, so you were talking about how you're, how you're now fulfilled from a professional standpoint because you're wrapping up with law school and you're going to um, get started with a, a new incredible job soon. But I think now that you are placing effort into the relationships will make that. Uh, so we'll make your relationship with your future job, I think, even better. Time will tell, but uh, 100%. I do think it is a plausible opportunity. Um, right. Yeah, I, I would agree. I think I don't think I would be happy with the job if I didn't have I haven't started it yet. So obviously, I don't know if I will be anyway. Um, but I definitely wouldn't be if I didn't have that piece of my life, you know, like that, I could just feel it, that it was yeah. Yeah. fulfilling in that way and, and I, motivating. I think this goes against the famous, for some myth, of separating private and public life. Um, you know, it's very hard to separate your job mm -hmm. from everything else that goes on in your life, vice versa. Uh, so it, it all goes back right. to striking that equilibrium, that happy, you know, in between that we were talking about earlier on. Um, one final question, Joe. Yes. What is your take on the following phrase? Stronger the why, the easier the how. Is that the case? I, I don't think all the time. I think if you don't know why you're doing something, you're probably not going to do something very difficult. But I, but I can't say that. A lot of people just have grit and have perseverance. And so they have not so much passion, they just grind, you know, like I, I'm in law school and I know people who really don't like what they're doing, but they work so damn hard. They, they're, they're working probably 16 to 17 hour days over and over and over again. And they, and they keep doing it. And it's really difficult. And they're why that they, I don't even think they know why they're doing something. So I don't think it's impossible. Um, but I think you should have an important why in order to be happy with what you're doing, you know, and it's not all about difficulty. And, and even if someone like is really motivated, they might, they might be choose. And uh, yeah, sorry. It also depends on what you're choosing as the how, right? Some, or what you're doing. Some things are objectively more difficult than others. So you, so you need a stronger why, but then some people's grit ends up making them able to be not very motivated, but they just grind and grind and grind. That being said, I don't think they're particularly happy. So if you don't remember why you're doing something, I, you're just going to waste your life and then you're going to look back and there's going to be nothing there. It's just going to be wasted time, billable hours, time spent working, and you have no idea why you're even here. 
right? Like we have to manufacture that, that purpose for ourselves, not, and if you don't, I mean, what, what's the point of really living? Like we're not here for that long. Um, so why not at least feel like you're accomplishing something and you have that why, and then feel some sense of satisfaction. And even if that goalpost moves, and even if it pivots or if you change things, you always have that why. And if you're building towards it, even if it changes, I don't think you're going to lose. No. You're, you're, you're benefiting yourself and, and, and you're feeling more fulfilled. And then that's a good way to live because yeah. what else is okay. there? Words of wisdom. You see, I did say at the beginning of this episode that you're a very wise man. <laughs> <laughs> But I didn't bumble no, too no, much no, around. <laughs> Joe, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. It was great catching up with you. Thank you once again, Joe. Thank you everyone for the attention and see you on the next episode of Simply Conversing.